The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back. I know I greeted you on Monday in chapel, but uh, I do hope that you had a good break uh, and that it was a, a restful time. Uh, friends, family, whatever you were doing, we stayed here and had some family come to us, uh, which was great. Uh, we absolutely loved it. Uh, was thinking about my message today, and I had a 42-slide PowerPoint of my grandson, uh, <laughs> but uh, decided not to do that. Uh, but we really had a great time. Yeah, I know. I'm, my wife's here. She's even more bummed than you are that I'm not showing my grandson. So, um, But... Uh, just as we get into the semester, just one thing uh, to a reminder to everybody, uh, which Pat and I are very excited about, the potential for snow on Tuesday. Uh, as you all know, Monday is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and so we will not be meeting, and there is the potential that that might flow over into Tuesday. So if you're not signed up for text alerts, uh, go online and do that so that you can stay informed with what's going on. Uh, and not be in the dark and go to class when everybody else is throwing snowballs. And so, uh, you know, you go through the Christmas break and you come around to New Year's uh, and resolutions. Uh, so just curious, how many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? Hands up if you made a New Year's resolution. All right. If you're so bold, how many of you are still hanging in there with that resolution that you made? All right, look at you. Go for it. Um, if you are wavering, take heart. Do you know what today is? You can look it up on your phone after chapel. But this Friday, January 12th, is National Quitters Day. <laughs> Woohoo! So for those of you who made a resolution or like, what an idiot. You can step in with many, many others today and tank that resolution and celebrate National Quitters Day. The day most are likely to give up on their dreams of things being different in 2024. The day is so named as people gradually fall out of attempts to adopt new routines barely more than a week into the calendar year. I don't know who we have to thank for that, Hallmark or whatever. I don't know if there's cards celebrating National Quitters Day, but uh, go figure. Uh, between you and me, uh, I don't really care for New Year's resolutions. Uh, you can make a resolution any day of the year. Uh, get up the gumption and do something about what you're thinking about Waiting to New Year's Day for me seems to be kind of a peer pressure thing, and I think we all know peer pressure is rarely a good motivation to do anything. Uh, so whatever your opinion about resolutions, I kind of shared my opinion there. It is never about the resolution itself. It's about the resolve to do it. Uh, so I just ended that I don't care for resolutions, but let's think about this resolution together. Let's resolve to never cheapen the grace of God. In the passage that uh, Andrew Gordon read for us, uh, we see Paul's resolve never to place confidence in himself. Uh, he listed his resume there and says, forget it. 
I would much rather know Christ. He states, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let's pray together. Fathers, we think about cheap grace together. Uh, I pray that the words that we look at uh, challenge us. Um, I pray more so, Lord, that we would look at ourselves, those of us that claim to know you, and to think how we live in light of the grace that you've given us, what that cost for us to receive that grace, and what do we do with that? How do we cheapen it, Lord, and then stir us, uh, like Paul, to give up all those things that we could build up ourselves with and lay them at the foot of the cross and follow hard after you. Uh, So Lord, we give you these moments. uh, We give you our thoughts. Uh, I pray that we be attentive to your work in our lives, the things that you prompt us to do, that we would not quit, that we would move with resolve because of the grace you have given us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. Commit this to you. In your name we pray, amen. So Paul resolves not to cheapen the grace of God by placing himself as the owner of his life. He lays it down. He is not the master of his days. In fact, he is the antithesis of you do you, I'll do me. Uh, The world that we live in today that says, I'm not going to bug you about what you do, so you stay out of my face about what I do. It's my life. I make my rules. You're no judge of me. And Paul steps alongside us and says, yeah, but somebody is, and it ain't you. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a philosopher, theologian, pastor in the World War II era, wrote this about cheap grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. Cheap jacks wares are like prizes you win at the state fair. They break before you get to the parking lot. The the sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut-rate prices. Grace is represented in the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it's been paid, everything can have be for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibility of using and spending it are infinite as well. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field, For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell, uh, the great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye, which causes him to stumble. It is call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. 
the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Incredible things to think about. Uh, the cost by which we were bought. I think we forget that. I know I do. I slip into a mentality of cheap grace, that God's grace is always there, ready to cover everything for me, and I can live my life and then come back to God and say, thanks for your grace, appreciate it, and like swiping a credit card, we walk away not knowing that a bill is gonna come due and we will have to pay. I don't think Dr. Williams chose the theme verse for his chapel series, What in the World Are We Doing Flippantly? Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is an incredible resolve inside that verse, a resolve that cannot come from confidence in ourselves. We face choices all the time, actions and behaviors, motives, attitudes, thoughts, and beliefs that are, apart from surrender to Christ and full acknowledgement of his grace, beyond us. We can't do it. I think we've probably all been in times where we want to do this. We're striving. Maybe it's a resolution that we made, and we're like, I can't do this anymore. Right. We can't. In our flesh, we can't. Similar to what Paul wrote in Philippians, he provides some insight into what drives him away from confidence in the flesh to a resolve that makes him subject to Christ and the grace of God. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 17. Let me read this for us. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer to those uh, about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we are beside ourselves. It is for God. If we are in our right minds, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have all concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their, for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, require, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all is made new. The new has come. So let's just kind of look at this verse by verse and just kind of think about cheap grace and the resolve to surrender our life to Christ and use his grace to live for him and for others. 
Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This knowing the fear of the Lord, uh, we all know if it says therefore, you look around and see what it's there for. Uh, so the previous verses, you see Paul's heart and desire to be with Christ, uh, his home. He wants to be at home with Christ. Uh, God is there in the heavens, and Paul is like, I don't want to be here. I want to be there. I'm sure we've all thought that at times as well. But he also acknowledges that God is ultimately the judge of all that's going on. He says this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Because of this, Paul's compelled to share the gospel with others. He's driven uh, by that to go out there and do it. Uh, Who he was was known to God, Um, but Paul was in hopes that the people in Corinth, probably because of some critics that were there, that that Paul's reputation would uh, speak for him and they could point to Paul's apostleship uh, and challenge them, but he wanted them to understand his motives, uh, that they would see his conscience and their conscience would see his conscience and understand what is driving Paul Uh, to act the way that he is in sharing sharing Christ. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Uh, Again, he's speaking to his motives here in verse 12. Like Philippians, he's not looking for personal recognition uh, for anything that he's done. He wants them to recognize the motivation in his heart to share the gospel so eagerly with other people. He wants them to be able to answer the critics, as I said, by pointing to Paul's authority to speak. Um, Paul wants his heart and motive, again, to speak volumes over his credentials. He has put those aside and he's sold out. And it comes out in verse 13. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, if I'm crazy, it's for God. But if I'm on my right mind, it's for you. Again, Paul's emphasizing, it's not about me. Whatever people think, if people think I'm out of my mind or if people think I'm in my right mind, the motivation's not from me seeking myself, uh, is what Paul is saying. My motivation is other people, whether it's Christ or it's people that he wants to share the gospel with. Uh, Paul has completely embraced that verse in Matthew that we looked at. He has chosen to die to himself every day in every way, for the sake of Christ, whether it's in honor of Christ and his glory or whether it's to bring people to Christ. That is what he has done. And here's where it all comes to a head. This is what drives him. Verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Christ's death on the cross made provision for everybody. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Christ has died for everybody, but there are only a few, well, millions by now, I guess, that have made the choice to live again. And how do you live again? By accepting what Christ has done. If you have entered into a right relationship with God, 
you are alive in him and you are no longer dead. Christ's death made the provision. We have to take the step of faith of acknowledging what he has done and that he is our only hope for salvation. Uh, If you read this and you look at this section, Paul is a man motivated by Christ. He is driven by him. He says here in some versions, it says the love of Christ compels me. It becomes so overwhelming. You know, think about the things that motivates you. What is it that drives you to do things? Is it a car? I can't wait to get in my car and drive. That thing just, I love it. It gets me going. Is it a boyfriend, a girlfriend? I do things that I never would have done, but when I got in this relationship, I'm on. Maybe, great thing to do at a place like Kane. Maybe you got a, in a class and just, I love this professor. I love this stuff. Uh, and you're so excited that you are just motivated. You get up and you're off to class and you are so eager when you're sitting there uh, to learn. What a great motivation. Uh, those things that just drive us and get us up in the morning and make us do it. Is that Christ? It was for Paul. You know, one of the things that happened over Christmas, uh, my son uh, gave me a Christmas present, and uh, he's given me a book. Uh, Hey, go Nathan. (laughs) I'm at that age where it's like, what in the heck do we get, Dad? You know, it's like Amazon gift card, go Dad. Um, But Nathan uh, sent this little card in there, and it's like, Dad, I, I got you this book last year. Uh, last year, Pat and I went out there to Portland uh, for Christmas with him out there, uh, and he had just picked up a book. Uh, he'd read the book, thought it was great, thought I would enjoy it, and so he gave me the book. We came back, and we ended up uh, calling each other, I think, Wednesday nights, and we would just take a chapter at a time, and we'd talk about the book together, and it was great. I really had a great time. We finished the book, and it was done. We still talked about stuff, but we had finished that. But what Nathan said to me was that, Dad, I had such a good time going through that book with you that I wanted to do it again. Uh, and so a former pastor in their church has written a book. He thought it sounded kind of cool. Uh, he came back and spoke at their church there. Uh, man, motivation. You think that didn't motivate me to dig into that? You know, to be with my son. My son is 27. Uh, he's an architect. Um, he's a grown man. He can live his own life. Uh, I don't make decisions for him anymore. He calls and asks for advice. This is great. But in all that he's doing, the choices that he's making for him to call back and say, hey, Dad, I'd like to do this with you. Man, uh, unbelievable. Uh, one of the best Christmas presents I've ever gotten. And I don't even have the book yet. It doesn't come out till next week. Uh, <laughs> But the fact of spending that time with my son uh, is unbelievable. Uh, I can't explain it to you because you're not a dad. Uh, If you are a father, uh, you probably know exactly where I'm coming from uh, and the joy of that. But even beyond my motivation and my joy, uh, the relationship that Paul has with Christ and that motivation that's there, that Christ died for all, And Paul's recognition, he died for me. Where I was, he died for me, uh, and I'm living for him. What that does for the heart of God, and even for Paul uh, in the joy. So you think about this verse here. 
that one died for all, therefore all have died. I think everybody in this room would acknowledge that Christ died for me. I think we would all acknowledge that. But that he died for all, that those who live, those who have a right relationship with God because of their faith in him, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Would you acknowledge that? That you want to live no longer for yourself, but for Christ. Here's where we cheapen the grace of God, and this is the heart of what I want to share. Because I've done it so many times through my years, uh, in my own efforts, stupid things, uh, wrong motives, where I've cheapened the grace of God. I've taken everything that God has done for me, the sacrifice that that cost him, and I've been disrespectful to my parents. I've talked flippantly to others. I've uh, cheapened other people. I've cut them down. I've hurt my wife. She's sitting right in the back, back here, uh, with things that I've said, things that I've done, and I come away from that, and I'm like, why? And I have to go back to God, and I feel so cheap sometimes uh, because I'm going back again. We take the sacrifice he made for us, taking our sins upon himself, the pain and agony of the cross, and by our actions, we scoff and choose to live for ourselves. I'm not pointing fingers, I'm talking about me too. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So here's two parts of the resolution that Paul puts forward for us. Number one, I will no longer look at other people the way I choose to see them. I will look at them the way that God chooses to see them. They're either a child of God that knows him or they're a child of God that does not know him. And how does that motivate me to move and act? Number two, I will look at Christ as he truly is. You know, I think about the ways that I have uh, cheapened God's grace uh, and you recount the life of Paul, who he was before he came to Christ, a persecutor of the church. Uh, those that were zealously falling after Jesus, you know, it was a new thing. And here's people that are fired up and they're following after him. They're living in community together, they're selling their things, they're giving it to others, they're following the way. And Paul is going and finding them, arresting them, and hauling them away until he meets Christ. And here Paul says, I will for the rest of my life truly look at Christ as he truly is. Is that a resolution that you're willing to make? If it's not, then you have cheapened the grace of God. It's a resolution that you can't make if you, uh, apart from accepting Christ as your Savior. To enter into a right relationship with him means that this life is not my own. It's yours. In verse 17, Paul puts it out for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if they have stepped in to that new life, He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Have you acknowledged that the new has come for you? Have you 
lived in such a way that the new has come. We would all love it if the trajectory of our sanctification was like this, straight up. Uh, Unfortunately, the trajectory of our sanctification is this meandering thing, but the hope is that I do something dumb and I learn and I grow and I don't go back there again and I move on. Why can I do that? Because I'm a new creature, availing myself of God's grace each and every day. Going back to Bonhoeffer, he said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Do you do something that you know is wrong and you go back and you look at yourself and you think about it and you just kind of basically do this and move on? No big deal, they'll get over it. Or do you look at it in a way that you say, wow, I have just mocked the cross of Christ. What Jesus did for me, no biggie. He can die again. Is that the way we live? Let's resolve not to do that. Why? Skip down to the last verse, verse 21. It says, for our sake he made him For our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The ultimate substitution, everything that Rick Swift would ever do has been placed on Christ. Christ felt the full weight of that sin, separation from the Father, died, and then God in his infinite power and majesty, raised him again, and with that, gave Rick release of all of that, to walk as a new creature. If you know Christ, he's done that for you. Now, how do we live? How do we live? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ who went to the cross for us, gave of himself, knowing that he was bearing the weight of everyone's sin, not just those in this room, but through all eternity, uh, he was bearing any sin that was committed on him, and it was paid in full at the cross. Lord, I'm grateful that there's so many in here with me that have chosen to accept the forgiveness that comes through the cross to live a life in you and to be a new creature and to give us the grace that we need to walk each and every day with you. Lord, help us to not cheapen that grace where we begin to operate on our own economy, thinking what's okay and what's not okay, and then flippantly saying, ah, that's been paid for with nary a thought of what it cost you, Lord. I pray that your love would compel us even as it compelled Paul that we would no longer live for ourselves but we would live for you and through that we would live for others. And it may be sharing the cross, it may be just treating each other with the love that we are due and that we would want for ourselves. So help us to that end, Lord help me. Uh, Each and every day, there's thoughts, temptations, those things, they don't go away. But with that, Lord, would you give me the resolve to not think cheaply of what you did for me, um, but to surrender myself at the cross and live for you. 
Help us all to that end. We thank you for your love and your grace, the way that you have made for us to be new in you. Um, Help us to embrace that and live each day for that. Again, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.